This week's Raiders game against the Eagles is brought to you by America First Credit Union, the exclusive home of the official Raider debit card. All of the same great features and benefits now with the silver and black. Learn more at AmericaFirst.com slash Raiders. Alex Brink is going to join us momentarily, Washington State football radio analyst. Got college football tonight with Utah State playing CSU tomorrow at 1.30, FS1. With BYU and Washington State, and then 5.30 Pac-12 Network for the youth. So, although there are no top 25 showdowns tomorrow, you got a couple of local games. And then, PK, I think the plan is wait to see which top 25 team is on the road and in trouble and getting upset. And same deal with the NFL on Sunday, where there aren't any huge games. Chargers and Ravens turned out to be a lopsided game last week, but it looked good going in, a couple of 4-1 teams in that. And this week it'll be more, all right, what 500 or sub-500 team can take down a team with a winning record. We're on upset watch for the next two days when we're not watching the Utes and the, and the Cougars. And there'll be something. Can't be chalk everywhere for two days. What the hell's chalk? The favorites. That's Jersey gambling speak, talk. Well, speak t- plain English, man. Chalk. It's a Pac-12 game tonight, isn't there? Yes, there is. Arizona and Washington? I believe you are correct. You but I have to look to see ESPN 2. You don't have to look. I know. You knew where it was? I didn't know you knew where it was. Well, I know they're playing. I yes. don't know what They're playing in Tucson. 2-4 two and four Washington and 0-6 and Arizona. The streak. <laughs> what is it? Is it 18? Yeah, it was 7-5 uh, and then whatever it is Six, now. 6, so 18. 18 straight losses for Arizona. They got to get to 20. <laughs> you need the round number. <laughs> well, I don't really care what they do. One more game down the end. Last well, game Washington would be 19, USC would be 20, and then Cal, they can snap it. So you watch the Pac-12 tonight and the Mountain West both. Oh, flick around for sure. CSU and Utah State is on the CBS Sports Network. And CSU is off to a 2-0 start in the Mountain West. The Aggies are 2-1. Mm. Air Force is 2-1. And, and USU's already beaten them and got the tiebreaker on them. So and look at you, man. Aggies in great shape if they win this game. You get out from under ownership? Yeah, flick around. College, you don't even mention the Jazz. Look at you. Look at you, man. Free of them? Pfft. Who cares about them? Totally off my radar, to be honest. <laughs> I didn't even think it, because I will be watching them. <laughs> I'm in football mode in October. Look around. You don't even mention the most popular team. Man, 8 o'clock tonight. You've taken to this change quickly. <laughs> well, that's not necessarily true, as you know. And you've also got baseball at 6 o'clock as the Astros try to close out the Red Sox. I knew that. If I get out of football mode. So you got you got four options. Well, that's why when you were going, I thought, well, tonight is actually a great night. This is a great time of year. This is the best time of year sports-wise. There's just no question about it in my mind. Others can argue, and that's fine. But to me, this is the number one time of year. <laughs> you just named it. I got college football, which I actually love. I don't have NFL football tonight, but we don't have it on Friday nights, so I understand that. And then you've got the Jazz game, and, and and these games matter. All this stuff, yeah. I'm I'm overrun with it, and it's awesome. 
Time to bring in Alex Brink, Washington State Radio football analyst. Joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows the 2022 budget planning for most businesses is coming soon. Take advantage of the Save Now Pay Later promotion and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at smartrain.net. Alex, welcome back to the show. What's going on, guys? Washington State, are they the fourth place team in the state of Utah? Lost to the Aggies, lost to the Utes, didn't have the quarterback for that game. Now, don't have their head coach and half the assistants for this game, and it's just nonstop drama and storylines for Washington State. It sure feels like it. It's been, uh, you know, it's been that way since obviously preseason with, uh, you know, prior to Pac-12 Media Day with Nick Rolovich, and then you know, this team has really struggled at times with, with injuries. And you mentioned the quarterback position took them a while to settle on a guy. And, and finally, Jane Dolores kind of taking the reins. And right as the team's catching its stride with a three-game win streak, you know, in the Pac-12, you see the, the obvious, you know, kind of elephant in the room, uh, Nick Rolovich ends up getting fired. And so, you know, now this team's really trying to kind of figure out you know, how do they how do they write the ship, so to speak? I think for the kids, it's a little bit easier, right? They're college kids. They kind of they they are able to compartmentalize some of these things. So I'm really interested to see, you know, how this team responds when they come out tomorrow. How about you make an example, uh, not an example, but a situation where, okay, the dust has settled now. This is no longer hanging over our heads. I had a friend. He was rumored to be fired, and it was wearing on him. He finally did get fired, but he said he felt a sense of relief in that he didn't have to worry about it anymore. There's anything there that you can apply in this situation? Yeah, I think that's very true. You know, it's funny. A sim- kind of a similar situation happened in the NFL, right, with John Gruden, where you know he was in the locker room for a week where there was a ton of that outside noise swirling and everything going on, and they played, you know, they played terrible and lost a couple weeks ago, and then he ends up getting fired, and you kind of wonder how the team's going to respond, and they come out and get, they get a big win last week. And I think there's very similar comparisons in the sense that, yeah, it, I mean, there was a cloud hanging over the team. You, it was relatively inevitable that, you know, that train was coming down the tracks. And so I do think there's an element where you can just – you can kind of move on. And as athletes, we learn that – that's part of it, right? If I make a mistake on the field, I have to compartmentalize it and move on. That that's all. That's the only way to do it. And so, in this sense, it's the same thing. Obviously, you know, the players they had a relationship with Coach Rolovich and the other coaches that got let go. But at the same time, they got to go play on Saturdays, and so they're able to kind of move that forward. And from everything I've heard about Jake Dicker, the the defensive coordinator and now interim head coach, I mean, I think he's you know handled this situation as well as you could expect. The energy at practice has been good, and so. You know, I think it's the best version of this you could have so far, and, and ultimately you got to put the product on the field on Saturdays. So if there were one thing about Washington State, and you can never boil it down to one thing, but you got to start somewhere. So if there's one thing with the Cougars, I just doubt their ability to close. I saw them not close Utah State out in the fourth quarter when they had multiple chances. The Ute game got away from them in the fourth quarter. USC, I thought they were in good shape at halftime, although it was close, anything could happen, and then they just got run off the field in the second half. Can you put your finger on why this happens? Because they're 4-3, and three and all three games get away third or fourth quarter. Yeah, it's a fair criticism. I mean, there's no doubt. And it, it had happened even back into 2020, right, under Nick Rolovich, that, the Utah game, the Oregon game, the, you know, in that year. And so there were some big question marks. And then, 
you know, the team kind of responded in a way. They had Oregon State um, on the ropes and had a late drive that they had to get a stop and or they had to get a score and a stop, and they did. And then last week, Jane Delora leads the team down to get um, to score a touchdown uh, late to win it versus Stanford, and, and the defense gets a stop also. And so, you know, you wonder if the team's turned the corner. I think it's it's hard to at this point to say that you know two is a trend, but um, they certainly are seem to have been moving in the right direction in that regard. I think the difference in the games you're talking about was the defense really, you know, did the best they could kind of through those four quarters and ended up getting a little bit worn out and the defense or the offense didn't hold up their end of the bargain. And that's really what you've seen the last three weeks during these three, you know, these three wins is that Washington State's offense has played considerably better. And, and I think if they can do that, because the defense really has played, Although stats may not show it, the defense really has played well. They turn the ball over a ton. They're super aggressive. And so I think if the offense can match that, then they're going to find success. How about a situation of this offense finishing drives with touchdowns as opposed to field goals? Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, that's, that's the thing, right? I mean, you saw that at the, in the Utah game, they get inside the five twice. Um, I think they get stopped once and they kick a field goal once. They did that consistently against Utah State. They did it really every game this year up until the last couple of weeks. It's felt like they've kicked a ton of field goals instead of scoring touchdowns. And some of that was, to me, was, you know, scheme related. They wouldn't, they were kind of trying to do different things offensively, um, you know, that I don't know were conducive to success and that they found the last few weeks a few different things. Now, I mean, to be very fair about the offensive play calling, that had gotten uh, moved to Craig Stutzman, who is the assistant offensive coordinator, and now he's gone. And so they're going to have to kind of figure out Brian Smith, who is who was the other co-offensive coordinator who originally was calling plays, you know, does he kind of take what Coach Stutzman was doing and some of those things, and can he get it into his game plan and his play calling and those sort of things? So how much set, – set the head coach aside, you know, losing a line coach, losing a play caller – how is that going to change the team if it does? I, I, I do think, in particular, Craig Stetsman, who was the quarterback coach and ended up being kind of a play caller the last few weeks, is, is a big loss for this team. He's a bright young coach, um, had a lot of really good things going, had a great rapport with Jane Delora, the quarterback. So um, I do think that that matters. Um, you know, I think the other guys, they, they obviously matter. I mean, it's important. But, um, you know, what Washington State has done is they've gone and found – some veteran assistants that have been in the run and shoot had relationships with these coaches and players before. And so you bring those guys in and you can in a way kind of, uh, you know, kind of stop the leak, so to speak for a little bit and build that. And it's the easiest um, transition in this scenario you could have. You also, like I said, have Brian Smith still on staff um, who was the offensive coordinator running back coach. So you have a guy that is very connected with the kids. So, you know, I think, they're going to find a way. I, I don't know how it plays out. I think that's the, probably the biggest question mark um, because the team offensively had been so much better the past few weeks, and now they got to, in a way, kind of reset and, and hopefully draw on some of those things again. So then maybe with Dicker taking over, rely on the defense, which, except for the Cal game, has gotten at least two takeaways in every game. So you think that that's what they need to do in this game? I think there's no doubt. I mean, I think the defense has to, has to turn the ball over. That's kind of been their calling card all year. Um, like you said, I mean, they just, they're, they're ball, they're ball hawks. The defensive line's playing really well. They rush the passer incredibly well. Brennan Jackson, RJ Stone are, are as two, two as good defensive ends as you'll find in the country that can get home. 
Um, and then that secondary, the two corners, um, I mean, really are big, 6'3", both about 185, 190 pounds. Jalen Watson's going to play on Sundays. Uh, I think if Washington State is, wins this football game, it's because the defense turns the ball over multiple times. Alex Brink joining us, Washington State radio football analyst. You know, there's that theory that, you know, we do what we do. The opponent is nameless and faceless and all that. But you can't help but watch another team's games and, and see BYU give up 300 yards rushing to Baylor. Now they've been challenged by their coaches to turn that all around. Do you think that Washington State should be feeding Max Borgia in this game and seeing if they can run it? Or has really been coming on and the ball's got to be in his hand and that's the way to go and don't get distracted by what happened with uh, Baylor's run game versus BYU's run defense. I think it matters. I mean, you got to look at that and, and say, especially for a Washington State offense that, you know, the run and shoot tries to maintain a semblance of balance, right? It's not the air raid. I think if this was Mike Leach, right, he would say, he would say it doesn't matter. We're going we're gonna to put that thing all over the yard. But, you know, you look at uh, this offense with Max Borgie and this offense one, you're going to try and run the football. And they, you know, last week they ran it better. Um, they've kind of consistently ran the ball better in again those last these last few weeks. And I think you know Borgie has a chance to have a, a big game potentially. And and you got to look at that. I mean, there's just that's the reality of it, especially for BYU. Um, you know, they've shown a few uh, kinks and chinks in the armor, and so it's it's time for Washington State to look at that and say, how can we take advantage? And we know why this, the assistants had the leave, but it seems like it's a highly unusual amount of assistants who decided against the vaccine. Was there any reason beyond they just didn't want it uh, as far as uniformity and following the head coach type of thing? I don't, you know, I don't know that specifically, to be honest with you. Um, you got to think that there's probably a relative sense of that to some degree. But, you know, in the end, I, I guess everybody's kind of making their own, their own decision, right? But um, I assume when you're kind of in that orbit that there's some element of that. But I don't know that any of that was ever clarified. So we know there's a lawsuit out there. Was there a, a lot of conflict between the administration and the football coaching staff? I guess especially the AD and the head coach, but maybe more generally as well, leading up to this, were the waters roiling back uh, at the end of last season or spring football? You know, I, I don't think so. That's you know, I think the tone of kind of some of the paperwork that came out is is inevitable, right? It, it just kind of has to be like that to, to get yourself, if you're Nick Rolovich, in a position where in the end you're trying to to chase uh, you know dollars that you know you may not get from your contract, and so. The, in general, uh, you know, with the athletic director, Pat Chun, and, and Nick Rolovich, Pat Chun felt very strongly that Nick Rolovich was the right hire for Washington State, you know, when they brought him in. I mean, he came recommended from Mike Leach and other folks. The, the system was, was a nice fit. Um, he was great with the players. And so I think they thought it was right. And then they get into this situation that, you know, frankly, was it was out of the administration's hands in the end, right? I mean, that was coming from, from higher than – just uh, just the university, and so what they the reality of it was just trying to figure out what the next steps were. And I know that there were conversations where Nick Rolovich was, you know, saying, "Hey, if this happens and I can't be a part of this team, here are guys that can help out." So you know, Rolovich was kind of a part of that process a little bit. Um, in all honesty, so I don't think there was any of that, you know, kind of roiling of the waters, as you say, during the time. I think this was just a a situation where. You know, there was a reality that came to a conclusion, and in the end, um, it was what it was. And I think the, the paperwork and kind of what's happening now is inevitable, I guess, in this situation. 
Well, Alex, enjoy the game. Thanks for coming on with us multiple times this year. We appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk to you again. Much appreciated, guys. Take care. Alex Brink, Washington State radio football analyst, joining us right here on 97.5 1280 The Zone. So watch the Cougars and the turnovers because Wazoo's been good at forcing turnovers, and when they are good at forcing turnovers, we know what turnovers does and the impact it has on games, and it's all played out for them. And then watch the second half in general, but the fourth quarter specifically because four of their seven games have come down to the fourth quarter. They scored one fourth-quarter touchdown the first five games, and that was against Portland State. And now they got three fourth-quarter touchdowns in the last two games. Wow. Figuring something out late in games. Fourth-quarter touchdowns, huh? One in five weeks isn't good, PK. Not good. Yeah, but I mean... But maybe they fixed it. How do you know they could have scored three against Portland? They didn't need to. That's true. Come on. But they needed to against the Utes and the Aggies, and they didn't. Well, if you lose games, you need to. There you go. So I just look at the number of losses. Got shut out in the second half by USC. Yeah, they did. All right, 4-3 Washington State, hosting 5-2 BYU tomorrow at 1.30 on FS1. David Locke in Sacramento, Jazz and Kings tonight. He joins us next. Stay with us. The new zone lineup is here. With the best coverage of the sports you love and the teams you can't live without. Catch DJ and PK mornings from 6 to 10. Followed by Jake Scott and Ben Anderson from 10 to noon. Get your daily fix of Hanson Scotty from noon to 3. And then the zone welcomes unrivaled with Alex Curie and former NFL quarterback Scott Mitchell to the team. Weekdays from 3 to 7. Live and local. All day, every day. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It is time to welcome in David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. The 9 a.m. Slacker radio headlines are brought to you by Lee's Heating and Air. David, good morning. Hello, David James. How are you? He's good. You're not good if you're not responding. Wow. <laughs> he already. He's fumbling through papers to let us know who you're sponsoring. David Locke's weekly interview is brought to you by the Murdoch I Auto Team. I can tell you. I'm brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team, who has a good amount of inventory coming in between now and December. It's been tough on cars, and the Murdochs also are not charging higher than MSRP on any cars at all. So stop by Murdoch Auto Dealerships, Chevy in Woods Cross and Logan, or in um, the Hyundai dealerships in uh, Logan, Linden, and in Salt Lake City. How's that? Humana humna. Humana humna. <laughs> There's also, aren't I on some other line that's about the drought? Like, come on. Can you remember that one, too? Uh, there's actually three reads for you, but I'm not going to do three all at once. You're not, so we have to sneak. So should I, every five minutes, be like, stop, get your read in so you don't forget? <laughs> no, we'll be okay. All right, so game one is in the books. It turns out Rudy can still rebound, and Joe can still shoot three-pointers, and Jordan Clarkson is still instant offense off the bench, and Donovan Mitchell shocked everyone by only scoring two points in the first half but then got back to normal in the second half. So did you learn anything, or that was like uh, preseason game 2.0, they beat the Thunder, let's move on? Uh, Thunder aren't good. Um, right. I think I do think that there, there's this funky little thing going on in the league. The unintended consequence of all the positives about the playing game is that I do think there's these franchises that are getting just making sure they're so bad that they're not in tenth place. 
right? Because if you're in 12th or 13th, your fan base suddenly wants you to compete for 10th. So you've got to make sure you're really clearly in 14th or 15th um, place in, in your conference. And I think Oklahoma City, Houston, and Orlando have done a wonderful job to make sure that's true this year. Um, so there's just some really bad – those teams are really bad. Um, um, you know, I actually – you know, let's add in that the coaching staff still makes amazing adjustments at halftime. Like they made a subtle little change to get Donovan going when being guarded by Lou Dort to open up the third quarter. It worked perfectly. I thought that, you know, just, yeah, hey, we're really good. Like, right? Like our, the biggest questions out of our fan base right now are about Hassan Whiteside and how Jared Butler works in. So if you're worried about your your ninth guy behind your historically great center and your tenth guy in a team that usually has a nine-man rotation, then you're really good. So what would you think of Whiteside? Um, I think what we're asking out of him is crazy hard. So let's start there, right? Like, so we just announced the top seventy-five players of all time, and I actually think Rudy. You know, in ten years, they're gonna, you're going to wonder why Rudy wasn't on that list. Um, he's going to go down in the modern in the modern era to me, and maybe I'm forgetting someone. There's been four great defensive centers: Dwight Howard, Dikembe Mutombo, Ben Wallace, and Hakeem Olajuwon. And Mark Eaton probably gets in there somewhere, but like, just those four to me are kind of, are the elite kind of and five we can call mark five um the elite elite defensive centers of all time like rudy's going down is better than mark rudy's going down i think is better than dwight i think rudy's going but down better than dikembe um he might go down better than ben wallace but that was pretty special and the lajuan was incredible um and i think lajuan because he was you know it's probably one of the 10 or 15 greatest players of all time we've forgotten how good he was defensively so we're talking about a guy who in the modern era is going to be one of the two or three best defensive players of all time, and we're asking someone to do exactly what he does every time, and we wonder why he struggles at it. So I think we have to understand that what we're asking out of Whiteside is virtually impossible um, to do, and I thought he did it fine. And over time, we'll see. I, what I don't know about Whiteside is whether he's a learner, right? So as Quinn teaches him and the coaching staff teaches him what he's doing, is that in his skill set to take in information and use it? Or does he, you know, when he played for Miami for five straight years and was good, well, that's un- he knew that system by the time. And then he was okay in Portland and he wasn't good in Sacramento. And so what it's very hard to bounce from team to team every year and integrate new systems and understand how to play. And I don't know where he is on that scale of being able to learn. Yeah, but at the same time, I get the feeling he's not being asked a lot because he's not being asked to win the game. He's being asked not to lose it. And so if they go out there and trade buckets while he's on the floor, isn't that good enough? Uh, yeah, we were a little more than trading buckets with favors last year, even though we weren't good defensively. So we'd probably like a little bit more than that. I mean, he is playing with another all-star in Mike Conley or with an all-star in Mike Conley and playing actually usually with Mike and some of the time with Donovan. Excuse me, he's not playing with Mike. Mike's only playing with Rudy. Um, so he's playing with an all-star in Donovan some of the time and then with Jordan and Joe. So it's a pretty good lineup. We better be better than just trading baskets in that time period. I saw Conley didn't even play 25 minutes. Do you think it's a situation where if they don't need him to win the game, don't play him? No, I think their goal – I mean, I think Mike's a 32-minute player at this point in his career – and then anytime you can shave four minutes off, that'd be great. So that's the reason why Jared Butler's playing. Um, and Trent Forrest is available tonight. It might be Trent Forrest tonight against De'Aaron Fox. I wouldn't be surprised at all if Trent Forrest didn't play. Um, so the, the reason you're playing those, that 10th man in the rotation right now is if you can sneak three minutes out of him in the, first, in the second and fourth quarters, and then suddenly you're taking Mike Conley's minutes down an extra – 
three to four or five minutes, that's a big deal by the end of the season. Right? right. If you yeah. do that yeah, 80 yeah. games, it's 400 minutes. So that's what I'm saying. So, so yeah, we, so we I, can expect to see more of it if the situation yeah. allows it. Yeah, I think the situation allowing it, though, you, the way you phrased it, PK, was if you're not, like, unless it's going to help you win. I think the situation is more of um, if Jared Butler and Trent Forrest can be productive in those short, tiny stints, is, you know, and not, that's probably where DJ's break even is, is correct um, and not be detrimental to us. And then the other thing is you want to have either Jared Butler or Trent Forrest ready. You know, we have two back-to-backs coming up on Saturday, Sundays on our upcoming road trips. I think we do, what, Chicago, Milwaukee, and Miami, Orlando. Is that right? On those two? Like, Mike's, I'd be really surprised if Mike played both those games. So on those nights, now you suddenly need 22 to 24 out of those guys. And um, and the, it's hard to ask a guy to sit for eight games and then play 24 minutes. So let's let him play six to eight and then play 24. Playing the Kings, Harrison uh, Barnes went uh, berserk, and Buddy Heel shot it pretty well. The law of numbers, will it revert to the mean here? Or, uh, well, I or want, this is a 120-point game for the Kings if the Jazz aren't careful. Uh, yeah, so here's the great thing about working with Ron Boone. He's just the best, right? He's 75 years old, and he could fully check in and be like, you know what, actually, I'm like, pretty well-established. I don't need to work. Like, But the exact opposite is that Ron Boone and I sit on the plane yesterday and watched the Kings um, Blazers game. So um, a few things on that. One, the Blazers really did not look particularly engaged. If I was in Portland, I'd be pretty concerned about what I saw in that game and the amount of defensive mistakes they made, particularly on plays involving Dame and CJ, where those guys have played together for a long time and are just like, don't, it wasn't clear what they were doing. It was a little disturbing. So Portland did not put out a particularly good effort defensively in that game. Uh, the Jazz will put out a far better effort. So I'm not sure Harrison Barnes will get the same looks. Um, a lot of straight line drives, though, in the half court. Like, we're going to have to, to guard our yard stuff is going to be a big part of this. They run a lot of action at the top where they're big trailing, and they kind of start it on one side, swing it to the other. It's a lot of false action that just kind of breaks into one-on-one drives. Um from them, and then they're the number one team in the league in transition. So you better get back defensively. I, I do think this. I think I don't know if they did if Sacramento did this because of the fact that um, Dame Lillard and C.J. McCollum were playing. But last year Sacramento was the worst team in the league against the pick and roll ball handler, and they threw kind of a tepid double toward. It wasn't even, I don't know what it was. Kind of toward Damian Lillard, where two guys came off picks with him. Uh, but it wasn't really a double team. It was more of kind of a show and get back, but it was on too long to get back. So I'm not quite sure what I would call it. Um, it meant that Nurkic had 20 and Cody Zeller had a bunch. Like, if they do that, Rudy could have 30 tonight. So they had the agent of um, Marvin Bagley complain that the Kings don't know what they're doing because they don't have him in the rotation. I think he got a DMP in the first game. But I thought, and I want to get your reaction to this, that the agent really blew it. If he was looking for the ultimate trump card to prove that the Kings management is beyond stupid, it would have been not to say that you're not playing Marvin as an example, but to actually use Marvin as an example by saying, (laughs) you guys thought he was better than Luka Doncic. That's how stupid you are. I actually think this is the first sign that they're, you know, trying to win. I think they've been trying to win for a while, but there, there aren't a lot of metrics that Marvin Bagley helps you win. Well, doesn't that prove how stupid they were? That they yeah. thought he was more valuable? That was the ultimate trump card. The management would have said, guilty as charged. Yeah, would have you used, the only thing that would have been hard, though, in that press release is whether you use Luka Doncic or Trey Young. 
Or Jaron Jackson. <laughs> yeah, I would go Luca. I think he's better than Trey Young. I mean, nothing against Trey. He's a good nice how about player. Dallas's, how about Dallas's debut under Jason Kidd last night? I thought of you. <laughs> I knew. You don't like Jason Kidd as a coach? No. He well, took a team to the finals, man. No, he didn't. Well, he's a player. Never I mean. won more than 41 games as a head coach. I meant as a player. Oh, fine. He's never won more than 41 games as a head coach. And he had Giannis. A young Giannis. Come on. Be fair. Fine, then go look at his Brooklyn roster and tell me how he only won 40 games there. Because it was a transition team. It was not. I don't even know who's on Brooklyn's team. <laughs> He's just, he just Kevin wants Garnett. to argue with you. <laughs> Who was on that team? I can't remember. Darren Williams, Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce. Pretty good team. Oh, they were so old. And Williams was broken down. Come on, that's did obvious. You me, did you think of me more when Dallas had a bad night under Jason Kidd or when the Lakers looked as awful as they did on opening? Well, night? you also pumped up Portland, so let's uh, you know pump the brakes on your genius. Um, that is fair. I do think Portland looked awful. Portland, Portland looked as the three teams I have not watched Dallas yet. The Lakers and Portland both looked disturbing. How about staff? Holy smokes. I went back, to, I can, I went back and watched... Uh, the first quarter but you last don't, night. But no. you don't see it with but, the Warriors. You don't know what everyone's getting all no, fired up about. Not to win the title. I mean, Steph's just amazing, though. Like, you can't, like, there was a dinner last night and we were talking about this and how the Warriors look, and I was like, the Warriors look fine because Steph's so unguardable that they have a four-on-three on every possession. He's just incredible. Like, Fair. there's never yeah. been anybody who's bent the game the way he has. It's amazing. They have a four-on-three on every possession. Well, they've got numbers, then. Right. We, so, were, we were discussing about uh, earlier this morning that is the advent of the three, can you singularly point to Steph Curry as without question defining person and changing the game? Does it go beyond him or how much do you put it on him? To what level? Um, I mean, he's the revolutionary player. But he also is like one of the greatest players of all time. So I want to like he would have been great in any setting of any time. He's probably the modern Pistol Pete, isn't he? A little shorter, maybe. Yeah, I mean, but his handle is the best there is in the league, and his shooting is the best there is in the league. He's just he's insane. Like, um, but yeah, he's the um, he revolutionized the game. Yes or yeah, no? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. Do you consider I mean, him a point guard? Well, I, here's the thing where he's revolutionized the game that hasn't happened yet. Is that his generation of players hasn't entered the league yet. Like, I think that's the next thing that mm-hmm. happens here. Is that the kids who grew up wanting to be, who were 10 years old when Steph Curry was great, are just about to start entering the league. And these kids are going to be shooting, for, they can shoot from everywhere. It's all they've ever done. Yep. Steve Cleveland has been telling us for a couple of years that when he goes to his grandkids' games, and you know it's not just their teams, but the other teams they're playing, or there's a tournament and sees multiple teams. He says everybody goes out, dribbles through the legs, between the back, behind the back, and into a into a three off the dribble. And he said when he was coaching, nobody did that. Coaches didn't allow their guys to do that if he was at a high school game. Nobody really wanted to or thought about it. It is that whole transformational thing of these eight, ten, and twelve year olds watching on TV, and then they want to go do it themselves. Right, and they can do it. Like they're gonna they're gonna figure out and the weight trains better so they can do it they're gonna do it no it's gonna be great I mean if you go to jazz practice right now they take a tremendous amount of their threes from five feet behind the line it's a part of their daily routine is taking their three point shots five six feet uh, behind the line 
Because everybody wants to bend the defense and turn everything into four on threes, three on twos, yep. two on ones. Yep. Yeah, and and frankly, the um, I was actually in a session once where I was giving an analytical presentation of what's next in the NBA, and my point was that the thirty foot three point shot's a better shot than the sixteen foot jump. So, as the shot clock winds down, that should be your answer. Is launching launching the it should bring your three point shooting down a little bit, but it's a better answer than pulling up for a contested sixteen footer. So is that going to minimize the impact of the long, athletic uh, shot blocker, not just a Rudy Gobert type, but no, even Giannis yeah, who defends everywhere because it's going to spread guys out and you're not going to be able to get to people to help? Yeah, I mean, the concern, I mean, tonight's a good test for us because the Kings were the number one team in transition last year. And the concern for us with Rudy, the, remember Roy Hibbert? Like, Roy Hibbert got played out of the league. Rudy's way, way better than that. But the way Rudy gets minimized, in this is that all of a sudden everyone's shooting in the first six seconds of the shot clock in transition early shots from the three and you never play half court defense. If you're never playing half court defense ever again. So it's not just the deep three because I think Rudy impacts the deep three because for us, we'll, we can guard the deep three because we have Rudy in the middle. So we'll just step out with you. But it's the early three, early in the shot clock where suddenly everyone's shooting in the first five or six seconds of the shot clock And I'm watching it. Actually, the first night of the NBA didn't happen. I was pretty surprised. The three-point rate wasn't up. It was up 0.5% from all of last year. So it's not – there didn't seem to be a wide jump. You know, usually you can actually – surprising how small a sample size you need. One night is too small, but it's surprising how small a sample size you need to see the trends in the league early in the year. And so – I monitor this kind of on a nightly basis, and it, as of right now, there doesn't seem to be a dramatic change. We're also, you know, one night in, every team playing once. But um, we'll see. Two two notes for you, if I may, before you um, kick me off your show. Um, tonight on the TV broadcast for the Utah Jazz, Holly Rowe will be the analyst. Thurl Bailey's got a wedding. And Katie Christensen will be the analyst on the – Sacramento Kings, she's their full-time analyst, so it will be one of the first. It's happened, I think, three or four times in league history where the analysts on both sides of the broadcast will be women, so that's pretty great. Um, so I thought that's important. And then just on a societal level, go read the Salt Lake Tribune Deseret News. That article about the Davis School District should be read. It's 12 miles outside of Salt Lake City. We need to read those articles and understand what's going on. David Locke has joined us on the Smart Rain guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows the 2022 budget planning for most businesses is already underway. Take advantage of their Save Now, Pay Later promotion and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at smartrain.net. There's a third one. What's the third one? Oh, no, I did two at the start and one at the end. Gosh, you're good. There you go. You notice he's sliding in. The sponsors served. The listeners served. Wow. There are few ever as good. When do you go into the Hall of Fame? That'll be up to you, David. You handle all that for me. You're the guy. You're the guy who took me to a bagel shop and offered me a minuscule amount of money to uh, get into this. Yeah, I'm responsible for a lot of you guys. Not PK though. Not my responsibility. (laughs) If he likes to tell me every time he sees me. (laughs) Thanks, David. When we come back, your feedback, the final word on a Friday. Next, stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. 
Football Fridays are presented by Mountainland Supply, where the pros go for plumbing, landscape and irrigation, agricultural irrigation, HVAC parts, tools, and safety equipment. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. Optimistic football fans on a football Friday. We got poll questions up at Twitter, David DJ James. And we got 72% of the Ute fans, or people voting at least in the Ute poll, say the Utes are going to win. 73% say BYU will win. And 85% say the Aggies will win. These numbers strike me as very high, PK, for no other reason than I'm used to you know, the Utes and the Aggies going on and saying BYU is going to lose, or the Cougars and the Aggies going on and saying the Utes are going to lose, stuff like that. This is... These numbers are massive in favor of these teams sweeping, and the point spreads for these games by Vegas are all tight. The Aggies are two-and-a-half-point underdogs tonight. Utes are three-point favorites tomorrow, and BYU is a four-point favorite. Well, I think there's, uh, you know, we're one big happy family now. We've come together. And then also, when I did think that happen? I missed that. I think it's a little bit of you. So go ahead and say, yeah, the Utes are going to win, so then your Ute neighbor can't trash talk you. Yeah, I saw that. I, don't talk to me. I already knew that. I mean, you love to do that. You, in fact, you've perfected the art of that. And so I think there's some of that going on. you got to look deeper, Dave. That's what I'm supposed to tell you. Look deeper. But they're not going to sweep. To be the negative Nelly and go against type, these three games, the opponents are too good. Two of them are on the road. They're not going to sweep. Okay. You Somebody's it. going down. Hey, who? I don't know the answer to that. Well, if I had to pick, you don't know the answer to that. Pick, we know pick, the answer. I would pick CSU. I mean, they are the favorite in this game. I have seen them play the least. They're the hardest for me to figure out. So you're going to pick the two more popular teams to win. I don't know that I'm going to pick them to win. I'm going to pick them. USU is the most likely to lose, but just because one of them is okay. going to lose doesn't mean two of them can't. Can you make lose. a pick before I die? Ha! Ah! <laughs> Jeez. I did make one pick. Now you want a second pick and a third pick. I want pick. you to make picks. Yes. How outrageous is that? We got three teams the, we follow. I think the uh, the third down number for Oregon State is just so glaring. The Utes extend drives, get points, and get it done. And and Which Oregon is what State I said. So yeah, Oregon I agree State with you. has got to attack the Utes' strength. And, and Kyle just said they average almost six yards a snap, but the Utes barely give up three yards a snap. No, so it's yeah. strength so on strength. So you're going numbers, okay? That's reasonable. CSU, Utah, and then the total wild card. How does Wazoo respond without the head coach, the play caller, the line caller, two defensive assistants? I think it sharpens focus. <sighs> I'm gonna go BYU. Right, so you go into two more popular teams winning, and then Utah State losing. I got you. Not seventy, but it just still doesn't feel like a seventy thirty pick with BYU. Sixty forty, fifty five forty five. Oh, so then if you're call. wrong, you can't say, "Ha, ha see, I uh, got it. Got I can cover your bases. Yeah, Good for you. you. You're you are you're better at this than I am. Why did you not run for office? Because you have politics deep, and you were a poli sci major. You should have been. No, you would have been. I would have voted for you. You would not have. I, hell, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Who you got? Well, I already told you Utah, so we agree okay. on that. What about the other two games? What do you think? You know, I think that I'm going to say that this is a galvanizing effect for Washington State. And, and I could, and play I could best be football. totally wrong. Come out and play the best football. But now it's, you, we always hear this cliche, us against the world, right? And now it can actually be true, yeah. as opposed to a cliche. Yes, more yeah. so. I mean, it's still a cliche to a degree, but more so truth. Because this is unprecedented. And they're hot. 
That's the shame about this, is this ball club, as I said earlier, you have to allow for teams to improve. This team clearly has improved. They had been a bad fourth-quarter team offensively, and now it looks like they're a good fourth-quarter team. I want team. BYU to win. I mean, I'll be the first to acknowledge it. I root we, for these local teams right, here. I've said did, it a million yes. times. If you want to assign me allegiance beyond that, go ahead. It's not true, but, but you if gotta, you want to, I don't care. But you got to pick them to lose if you think they're going to lose because if you just spray sunshine all the time, people aren't going to listen. That's most definitely people, true. Most people want the truth as you see it, even if you're wrong. I'm going to believe in the Blake Anderson magic. So you're going for the sweep then? All of the locals win? No, I just, no, I said. Oh, because Wazoo. Oh, because Wazoo. You're right. Okay, sorry. My bad. Blake Anderson magic, they're back on track, even though they didn't look that good at UNLV. Yes. The only thing I can think of is that they knew deep down, as Blake said on Monday, these guys knew that that team was 0-5. I could preach till I'm a blue in the face, and they know. That explain, and, and I'm with you on that, and that explains me why they were behind 17-7 to in the first quarter. But I still couldn't believe it took until 35 well, seconds left. Because you let UNLV get some mojo yeah, going on. They did. And so now, but with won. the idea of first place and now legitimate claim at first place in your division with Boise losing again, it's right there for you. I think that's enough to motivate them. Three-game losing streak for the Y when we come back. No, I hope not. I'll be the first to admit it. It would be fun, in a sense, to see them go 4-0. And set up in Vegas the rematch, Utah versus BYU for the Pac-12. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Coming up next, Jake and Ben right here on The Zone.